Hey everyone, I would like to thank you once again for joining me as we take our walk through the strange Paradiso. I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday weekend. It was um, really, really nice weather here in Southern California yesterday. It was just about perfect. Um, it was pretty busy. I'm sure m many of you were very busy yesterday and whenever your holiday took place. It's fun, but it's also very busy. So anyways, um, let's start walking, okay? Um, I want to talk about something. Now, this happened many years ago because this is actually part of a story about the movie Poltergeist. So... I remember when that movie first came out, I was really young. We went to the theater to go and see it. Don't ask me why my mom decided that um, it would be okay to take us all to go and see this movie. But it didn't scare me. It just kind of um, woke something up within my mind about these type of occurrences is what it did. It kind of um, gave me more of a curiosity about these type of things because I, as you know, have been having experiences ever since I was very young. I mean, I was pre-kindergarten when I had my first experience. But anyways, I just remember that movie being like at the time, okay, it was very, um, I guess, because a whole lot of that, besides The Exorcist, hadn't really been done, not in that way, not in the way that Poltergeist had been done. Because this was like um, a bigger budget type of movie. Um, it was a Steven Spielberg movie. So this was something that was pretty big, okay, for that time frame, which was, I, I believe, like 1981 or 82, something like that. So um, you can imagine, think about Poltergeist coming out, you know, that many years ago, and that it was a pretty big deal. But anyways, um, later, because I remember the, the girl who played the older sister in the first Poltergeist movie, that she had been killed. I didn't know the whole story. This was something that it was kind of like, as you pass by, you hear about certain things. It was one of those type of things. Like, uh, I knew who she was, but it was, at the time, not anything that was, uh, like, really big news. At least to me. Because at the age I was at the time and everything else, I just didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to it. So it wasn't until years later, and actually recently, that I realized and I started hearing and reading about some of the other things that took place during the filming of this movie. So there were things that I just found out recently that happened that I had no idea about. All right, so we're going to start with the first thing that I heard actually about this movie was that these uh, supernatural occurrences were going on during the filming. 
So strange things were happening. The, the lights would flicker, the lights would go off and on, and certain things would just turn on by themselves and this and that. Okay, and that is, I mean, you can attribute that to anything. Lights flicker at, at houses sometimes when the hot water heater goes on. I mean, there are many reasons why something like this would happen. But this was to a point that it was very noticeable, these things that were happening. And uh, the big one that I heard about this movie is that during the filming, now, I don't know if uh, all of you guys have seen Poltergeist, the very first one, but there's a scene where there's like a thunderstorm and lightning and it's at night and the brother is in his room and he sees like the shadow of the tree coming, you know, into his room. And it, every time that the lightning would strike and the it would illuminate and it would just look really creepy and stuff like that. And in one of the chairs in the room, there was a clown. So there was this, this like clown doll kind, some kind of toy, whatever. Now, it's been a while ago since I saw this movie. So what, I don't know if this part of the movie was cut out, if it was edited out, because it is said that while filming this scene, somehow the clown actually kind of like attacked the boy and it wrapped its arms around the boy, okay? But what happened is the clown actually almost choked this boy to death. So it somehow wrapped its arms around the actor's neck and was choking the life out of him to the point where Steven Spielberg actually had to go and pry the clown's arms off of the boy's neck. He actually had to like rip the arms. I don't know if he ripped it, the arms off of the doll completely, or if he just pried them off of this boy. Now, they were talking about some kind of locking mechanism, what caused that to happen. How many times have we seen any type of stuffed animal or toy like that with a locking mechanism? What would be the reason why there would be a locking mechanism on a toy like that? So, I mean, that, that is like um, something inhabited that toy, which is just an object. That is really something. So anyhow, along that, along with other things that were going on during the filming, one of the other ones was that they are saying that when you see the one scene where the coffins are popping up out of the ground and the skeletal remains are coming out of the coffins and all the water, you know, because they're building a pool. So it's like a bunch of muddy water down there where the pool is being built and that's where the coffins are and there are skeletons there and everyone is screaming and they're in a panic. Well, the story is that those people were really panicked for reals. It was not an act because 
at the last minute during the filming, they were told that those were not props. Those were actually real human remains. Those skeletons were real human skeletons. So you can imagine those people wanted to get away from those things, wanted to get out of that area. So they were truly in a panic. The story is that, now I don't know who it is exactly, but someone from the studio or the making of the movie, like, I don't know who it was, a director or who, I'm not going to say it was Steven Spielberg himself, but someone went to the, med, I don't know what college it is, but they went to the medical section or whatever of the college and asked if they could have any skeletons so that they could use it in the making of this movie. And so the college obliged. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, we got some skeletons. You could use these. So those skeletons were real. So when you start asking yourself, why is all this happening in a filming, during a filming of a, maybe some people think is a silly little movie. Well, that could be one of the reasons. Now you're using real human skeletons. Something that used to be a person walking around. And I mean, that uh, to me is enough to cause many problems, okay? But anyways, okay, we can continue going with this. So that movie, I believe, was released in June of 1982 and it was in uh, October of 1982 when the actress who played the oldest sister in that movie, Dominique Dunn, I believe was her name, was murdered by her ex-boyfriend right out in front of where she lived. Apparently, he had been beating her, I mean beating her bad, pulling her hair out of her head like by the roots, just abusing her for about a month or so until she decided, this is it, I'm out of here, I'm leaving. So she gets in her car, she starts driving away, and this guy comes out and he's on the hood of her car trying to stop her from leaving. This per This guy was just out of his mind okay so anyways she gets away from him she goes to get someplace to live now she's living on her own she's uh, reading for a next movie script that she's planning on doing he goes over he says can you just come outside I just want to talk to you so for some reason she decided that she was going to go ahead and go outside to go and see what he wanted and go and talk to him and uh Next thing you know, they start yelling and screaming at one another, having a verbal altercation, and he, her ex-boyfriend, chokes her to death right there in front of her residence. Chokes her to death. I believe it was in the daytime when this happened. You can look into that and fact check me, but uh, I want to say it was in the daytime, okay? And um, the reason that all of this is known is because she was in her place 
reading her lines with another actor who I guess they were both reading their lines together. They were going back and forth, okay, like practicing. And he witnessed the whole thing. He did not do anything. He did not even call the police until after she was dead. So that's how we know what went on between her ex-boyfriend calling her, wanting to speak to her, and then them having a screaming match outside. The next thing you know, he's choking her to death. She dies. And then the guy who sees this happening calls the police. He didn't once go out there at least to the door and say, hey, leave her alone. There was nothing like that happening. So all of these things have been attributed, attributed to something called the curse of the movie Poltergeist. Those are just a few of the things that happened, okay, that I know of. So now we can go a little bit further It is said, now I don't know this for sure, but it is said that things just became so intense during the filming of Poltergeist 1 that the people who who played the roles of the parents did not want to do the sequel. As well as the boy who played the brother, he did not want to do the sequel also. They had had enough. They were like, no, we don't want to do it anymore. We're, We're done with it. The only one who remained was the youngest girl, the little blonde-haired girl, Heather O'Rourke. So she was there for the sequel. So that's Poltergeist 2. They filmed that in a completely different location on a completely different set. And right away, there were things that started happening. They started hearing voices and whispers coming from like electrical outlets. Yes, I mean, talk about creepy. There started being things happening like the lighting in the studio. They would like fall. And those things are not light. I mean, we're not talking about a regular light bulb. We're talking about something that could fall on you and perhaps kill you because they weigh a lot. I mean, I don't know exactly how much, but it's these things are heavy. Okay, so you've got more activity happening now with this number two. It was also said, now once again, I am not 100% sure, but there was someone in Poltergeist 2, an actor, who was actually a shaman. Some of the people who were involved in the making of the movie approached this man and asked him if he could do something to get rid of the spirits, whatever they were. So he obliged. He said, okay, sure. So he did something for these spirits would stop and this activity would stop. So it is said that, yes, it worked and they didn't have anything else happening afterwards. So there was a third movie. There was a Poltergeist 3. Once again, it was the little girl who was on that movie also. She was on Poltergeist 3. Well, 
this little girl started becoming very ill. There were certain things that started happening. But, um, I mean, what choice did she have if whoever were her guardians, her custodians, whatever you want to call them, who maybe it could have been um, a mother or something like that. I'm not sure. So I can't say it was anyone in particular, but there was someone in her life, it seems to me, that put money over the well-being of this girl. Now, at the time, this girl was like 12 years old. And um, subsequently, she died. She ended up passing away when she was 12 years old. I believe that the movie maybe had just finished. They had just finished filming. But um, she passed away at a very young age. And I want to tell you guys something. And this is something that I read actually a while back. And I've heard it over and over again from many different and separate outlets, okay? That the symptoms that this girl was having, her illness, were symptoms of someone who was sexually abused. Yes, I've heard this from uh, many different sources. And I heard it again recently. That's actually what ended up happening. That's actually what ended up killing her. First, they said it was um, something called toxic shock syndrome. They said it was something else. There were many different things that uh, they were saying caused her death. But um, more and more, as we go forward, certain things are seeping out there are certain maybe they're truths okay that seep out after so many years uh it seems to me that um a lot of different agencies or outlets whatever you want to call it seem to feel that oh enough time has passed now and maybe it wouldn't be so shocking to go ahead and let this news out so the this type of information isn't being suppressed maybe like it would have been in the past. And that's why I've heard about this quite a few times, actually. So that is so disturbing in itself that um, I find it very difficult to talk about that poor little girl. But either way, just the fact that she died at such a young age is very sad and very disturbing. But... Once again, we have people saying that this is part of the curse of the Poltergeist movies. You can ask yourself, okay, once again, here we go. It's a movie. How could a movie generate a curse? Unless someone maybe who was involved or whoever cursed it. Someone did this intentionally. That's how it seems, right? Well, we have to stop and think about, remember how we have 
talked before about how easy it really is to conjure and how we have to be so careful. Well, just the fact that they're making this movie, okay, there is an energy that is expelled just in the making of this movie. Now you throw in some of the other things like murders, uh, maybe accidental deaths that are associated with these. I mean, any negativity is going to attract these things. So just the fact that, I, I mean, I know that that movie scared many people. I know it did. And as well as some of the actors were creeped out because of some of the things like the skeleton thing and all of this. So all of that energy that's put out there is going to attract more negativity. What is attracted to negativity? Okay, so now we've got these entities who are attracted to this. And that's as easy as, I mean, that it's, it's just so easy. These other things now, I know that um, there are people who are actually um, more sensitive maybe to certain things and they're easier to manipulate and so on. So a lot of these people, when they're put into an area where you've got, um, it's almost like a static type of discharge when we're looking at this negative energy, okay? And so it attracts these negative entities. And there are certain people who, once again, are easy or easier to manipulate because there are always weak links in every chain. And those are the ones who are attacked first. Now, just like the boyfriend of uh, the one actress. Was he actually influenced by this negative energy? Certain things like this. It will change certain people's behaviors. It will change the way certain people think as well as our perception and different things like this. So, if there was a curse on that movie, it doesn't seem to me that somebody just went there and put a curse or a hex or anything like that. It just seems like it was brought in just by what was happening during the filming. And I think that the skeletal remains are a big one. As well as certain people who were involved in the making of the movie, I believe, were really engaged in the occult. And still are. I'm not going to say any names, but I'm sure that many of you have read about certain people. And um, so that will also invite things in simply because of their association, okay? Just because of the things that they do. So I just wanted to share that with you guys because um, that's not the only movie 
where the actors have come forward and said, yeah, when we were making this movie, this and that happened. And um, there are usually people who die during the makings of certain movies like this also. There are usually deaths associated and strange deaths, okay? Because, I mean, anything can happen at any time. But these are things that are just kind of strange and out of the ordinary during filmings and and so on. So it's something to look at if you're interested in this kind of thing. But yeah, and I always wondered, like, where did the mom and dad go? Oh, maybe they just didn't want to do it. Maybe they had other commitments. They had other acting uh, gigs or whatever they're called that they were going to go do. But no, I come to find out that um, they didn't want anything to do with it after what they had been through with the Poltergeist 1. I don't think I could blame them either. So that is it for that. Now, the second thing that I want to um, share with you, I was at work, this was on Saturday, and I do not know how this conversation came about. But the next thing I know, there was a woman who was in there and she was talking to one of my clients and they're talking about like um, paranormal activity, like strange things that happen, strange things that have happened to them and so on. So I'm just like, where in the world did this conversation come from? Because I just kind of like walked in on it. So I'm... I asked her, so you have experienced things? And she said, oh, yeah. So from what she was telling me, it seems to me that her and her husband are maybe investigators. They are um, interested in things like that. And she was saying something about a cemetery somewhere in the vicinity. It's in the San Diego area. And she said the cemetery was closed for the night. And her husband wanted to go in there and take some pictures, she said, because it's really old. And like some of the graves are from like the mid 1800s and so on. So he went ahead and he scaled the fence. And so she said, so I went ahead and I, I climbed the fence also, she said. And so now we're walking around there. It's at night in that this graveyard. And she said, my husband started taking pictures of some of these um, gravestones. And she said, and then... She's like, which was a really bad idea that we found out later on. So they went ahead and they were walking around there and taking pictures and so on. And then she said, um, it was creepy, but she's like, I think it was creepy because it was a cemetery and it was at night. So anyways, they went ahead and they climbed the fence and they got back in their car and they went home. She said right away, like the next day almost, stuff started happening in her house that has never happened before. She said they started hearing voices. They started like feeling like wind was in their house, but there was no, nothing open. She said you would just feel a breeze go by you, but there's no reason for it. She said cold spots, okay, like would appear in her house. She's like, yeah, I'd be sitting down there and all of a sudden it would get really, really cold. So she'd get up, she'd move like to another part of like the couch. So it'd be cold like on the left side, but not on the right. 
and just in little areas, she said it would be very cold. When she was walking by her guest bathroom one day, she said, I was walking by and I saw something in the mirror of the bathroom. It looked kind of like the top half of a person. So she stopped and she kind of backed up, but there was nothing there. She's like, all these things started happening afterwards, after we did that. So I didn't get to hear her whole story because I was busy with um, the rest of my clients, but she started talking about these different places that uh, they wanted to go and check out and so on. And my one customer said, well, before you and your husband go and look at more places or go investigate, she's like, don't you want to get rid of whatever it is that attached itself to you when you were at the cemetery? And then she's like, yeah, that's a good idea. As a matter of fact, I have somebody coming out this week and and so on. Man, I'm going to tell you guys, if I, if that were, were me, I wouldn't wait a couple of days, even a couple of hours, okay? I would not be waiting. I would be calling Jesus. I mean, I would be calling out to Jesus. Oh, yes. But some people, once again, we have the dabblers who are not only a danger to like their families, to people who may come into their houses and things like this, people who may accept the dabbler into their houses, but they are also a danger to themselves. When they start doing things without doing any research, without knowing the consequences, they are a danger to themselves as well as those around them. So that is something that we have got to be very careful about. And once again, I cannot stress this enough. We don't know what our neighbors are doing. And the reason I say neighbors is because I'm talking about we don't know what people in general are really doing when we're not with them, when we're not hanging out with them. When they're in their houses, we don't know. So there is something that we have to be very careful about. I mean, I'm not saying that we have to interview everyone before they come over, but we have to get a pretty good idea of what these these people's beliefs are and stuff. I know that my good friends and I, we all know what we are about. We all know. So that is the best rule to go by. Just like when you meet new people and right away, or maybe you haven't met them at all. Maybe the first time you met them is because they come into your house with someone else. That is something that actually happened to me in a house. It was our first house. And I had a lot of experiences, but that house was already in an area that was pretty active in the first place. So certain people, when they would come over, I noticed that afterwards, it was uh, very strange because even the environment would change in certain areas. I'll get into that a little bit more as we go on, but I mean, it's not like I could say, oh, because Peggy came over, she brought some kind of bad voodoo with her. See, you can't do that because you don't know for sure. All I could do was 
think to myself, it seems, right? It seems that ever since Peggy came over, there have been some strange things going on in here. Because we can't point our finger and blame someone unless we know for sure. Okay. Yes, I'm still drinking my iced coffee. I can't help it. I believe I am hooked on these things. So I even drink them in the winter. I have to have my iced coffee. All right. So actually, I go back and forth. Sometimes it's an iced Americano. Sometimes it's an iced sugar-free vanilla latte. And now they have like sugar-free white chocolate. So I had a... um iced sugar-free white chocolate latte yesterday I can tell you man they're the best things ever <laughs> so anyways yeah I'm, I'm pretty hooked okay so um moving on from that I have one more thing that I want to share with you and um, those of you who have been with me for a while may recall some of what I'm about to say but every once in a while I have to do a introspective as well as a retrospective to because it's it's almost like we have an update to our own experience because we think about things differently and as we go forward we realize certain things and uh, I was recalling about the place that I used to live in in Orange County the reason that I started thinking about this is because somebody brought it up that they used to live in Orange County and it was just so darn spooky there, they couldn't take it and were asking me about if I knew about certain areas and this and that. Well, as far as I know about the area that they were talking about, the only thing that used to be out there were like citrus groves. Orange groves were the majority. That's why it's called Orange County. They were everywhere until they started building houses. Now, that's not to say that maybe before that there weren't things that went on. But as far as I know, there was nothing there. Nothing that I know of that had happened. I even looked into it and tried to find anything, but not in that particular area. But I started thinking about where I used to live. And um, every once in a while, for whatever reason, and it's been many years, I still dream about the parking lot of that area. And I'm going to tell you something. It's been so long ago. I don't even recall if the parking lot in my dreams is actually what it looks like. Okay, that's how long ago it's been. Plus, I was really young. I wasn't paying attention to stuff like that. But I would like to go back there one day and check it out. So anyways, being that certain people can be influenced by negative entities in more ways than one, okay? It can change and alter certain people's behavior as as well. I'm not saying making them turn into like, uh, you know, what we see with the exorcist and stuff like that. I'm not talking about possession, but I'm just talking about having a personality change, a slight alteration, anything like this. So these places, and it was an apartment complex, okay? And I remember there was this one guy, he was older. He knew 
one of my brothers, and he was even a little bit older than my oldest brother, okay? So this guy must have been like 28 or something like that. And I remember he was living there with his girlfriend, and he seemed to be okay. He seemed to be pretty cool. But there was also something about him that made me feel like I would not trust this guy 100%. He's cool, but there's something about him. He was never rude. He was never even sarcastic, but there was just something that I could not put my finger on then or now. So anyhow, he would stop by. He would talk with my brother, you know, and they would just go once in a while and just talk and hang out. And my brother, one night, he said, I was walking by the laundry room and I could swear that I saw, I'm going to call him Mike, that I saw Mike in there breaking into the washers, you know, like where people put their coins in for the laundry mat washers. He's like, I could have sworn it was him, but I didn't want to pay too much attention. I just walked by quickly, but he's like, I think it was Mike. And I told him, I don't, I mean, I really can't picture Mike doing that, but on the other hand, it really doesn't surprise me. There's something about this guy. I don't know what it is. Well, what I think it is now, okay, what I was feeling was the energy. That's what I was feeling because I'm very sensitive to people's energy and to certain things about them. So that's what I know now what I was feeling because there was like this type of wavelength that was coming off this guy that could not be stopped. And I could totally feel this, okay? And so what ends up happening is, yeah, the next day the laundry room was closed because they had to repair the the things that were broken into. And so the story was somebody went in there at some time and busted into all the the coin little cases and taken all the coins. But in the meantime now, they have to fix it and repair it before anyone can go in there and use it because there's no place to put the coins now. So after that, they started locking the laundry room like, I don't know what time it was, maybe nine o'clock. Before that, you could go in and do your laundry at 1 a.m. because it was always open. And then the next day, what happens is my brother sees Mike out there and then Mike's all, yeah, I guess some asshole busted into all the coin, whatever, coin cases and he's laughing about it. And my brother's like, and Mike's hands are all cut up. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, his hands, like his knuckles and places like that are all cut up. And I'm like, well, that's from busting into those coin things. And he's like, yeah, I believe so. So I don't know what happened to this guy, okay? But I'm not saying that every single person who is, 
you know, like, like that is under the influence. But for some reason, I believe that he was. There were so many strange things going on there in that complex that I believe he was influenced. That's the same place where my dad was in there taking a shower one day. And this particular shower, this bathroom, had the window that was up high. And it faced like the front of the apartments. Like, you know, that little bathroom window that's up high. And um, he said he was in there and he heard whistling. Okay, no big deal because it could have been somebody walking by also because you got that window there and my dad had that window open. But he said, no, the whistling didn't stop. The whistling was coming from inside the apartment. And then the light went out. Somebody turned the light off when he's in there. And he thought it was one of my brothers fooling around. And so he starts calling my brother's. And I have like four of them. So he starts calling everyone's name, like, stop fooling around, get in here, turn the light back on. But nobody ever came and turned it on. So when he's finally done, he gets out of the shower. The door is locked. And the light switch has been turned down. So something actually turned the light off by the light switch. The place was just full of activity. We had the little puppy. That puppy would not come out from under the bed. Whatever bed he could get under, that's where he went. He would avoid the kitchen. What I did was I put his his food bowl by the sliding door, which was on the other side of the kitchen. So we'd have to go into the kitchen Go all the way to the other side to where the sliding door is to eat his food. Now, I know this guy was hungry. He was a puppy and he wouldn't go and eat. I would go and pick him up, go put him down by the food bowl, and he would dart back and go under the bed. I would take him outside. He'd be fun. He'd be playing. And I'd take his food out there. He'd be eating his food, drinking his water, just doing all the stuff that puppies do. Once I took him back in the house, he would run under the bed. Now... That in itself, okay, was enough for me. I knew that there was something happening there, as well as that's the first place that I ever saw a shadow person. And that is before I even knew what a shadow person was. I never even heard the term shadow person. It wasn't until later when I heard somebody talking about it I believe on coast to coast AM, whatever. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, that's what I saw at those apartments. Shadow people. So this place was very active. I mean, I could go on and on about this place. I had a little lamp there. For some reason, I was home by myself. I don't know, maybe my parents went out that night or something. So I was in the living room and I started feeling kind of like... uh I don't know how to explain it. Kind of creeped out a little bit. So I went ahead and I turned off that lamp and I went into my room and I just closed the door and I figured I'm just going to go to sleep. And when I wake up, my parents will be home. And uh, maybe a little while later, I woke up and I saw the light coming from under my doorway. And I was thinking, oh, okay, my mom and dad probably home. So I get up and I open my bedroom door to go out. No, there's no one home. 
I'm still alone. As a matter of fact, it was only like an hour later and the lamp was on. So I didn't even want to go in the living room to turn the lamp off. So what I did was I just went in there real quick and I unplugged it. Then I went back in my room and got in my bed and covered my head up with the blankets. But um, it's just on and on. The place was just very strange. And that's the place where, you know, the throw the paper away thing happened. And it was not only me who heard throw the paper away. And it was whispering and it sounded like a man and a woman saying, throw the paper away. And then the woman would say, throw the paper away. So I heard this thing and my sister heard it and we got up and it's like, where's that coming from? See, but once again, we were living in apartments. So we had to realize that we're not alone. There was someone above us. There was someone on either side of us. So it could be anyone. But no, these voices were in the apartment with us. As a matter of fact, we started walking towards the direction to where we used to keep the trash can, like in this tall cabinet thing. And as we walked towards the trash can, one of the voices said, here they come. Oh my gosh, yeah. So that did it. It's like, uh, I made an about face. I went in my room, covered my head with the blankets. Whatever these things were, could see us approaching. They acknowledged it. And we heard it. Mm -mm, no. So it's like, when we're dealing with apartments, we never know who has lived in there, what they have done, are doing, uh, continue to do. It could be somebody who did something in their past. But unless they have closed that door to what they used to do, it's still there. So when we're dealing with apartments, guys, there's a lot to think about. And that's not the only apartment where I had encounters. I mean, I had real, almost physical encounters at an apartment that I lived in, in Tustin. And I'll tell you about that next time I come on. I'm running out of time here. I'm talking so much, trying to squeeze everything into like 45 minutes. Now I'm a little bit over my time. But um, anyways, we're going to pause this for today. I'm going to try to be back on Friday and bring some more things to talk about, okay, when we next walk and talk on our journey through this strange paradiso. I want to thank all of you for joining me, for taking time out of your day to walk and talk with me. If there's anything that you would like to contribute, to know about, to just contact me for, for whatever reason, you can always go to maybe underscore Maria at outlook.com. I love hearing from you guys and I want to wish everyone a great day. And um, once again, I'll try to be back on Friday when we can continue our journey. Thank you guys. I appreciate all of you. Ciao.